Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In 1953, Catholic schoolgirl Vivian Liberto meets a handsome Air Force cadet, Johnny Cash, at her local San Antonio, Texas skating rink. Their whirlwind summer romance lays the foundation for a feverish three-year-long correspondence while Johnny is stationed in Germany. Thousands of letters later, the two marry upon his return in 1954, and within a year, Johnny Cash's career blossoms. That family is started. And I'm going to leave it there because I think there's so much of an amazing backstory uh, in regards to uh, Vivian and Johnny Cash. And I want to dive right in. The film is called My Darling Vivian. And we're joined today by the director of My Darling Vivian. And that would be Matt Riddle Hoover. Matt, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Thank you. I, I just want to say at the outset that I thought I knew a lot about Johnny Cash. And I thought I knew a lot about his career. And this is a story that just came completely out of the blue for me. So tell me a little bit about your introduction into uh, this world and moving forward with it as a documentary film. Sure. Okay. So my introduction into the world, um, my, my husband and my uh, producing partner, Dustin Tittle, is a grandson of Vivian Liberto and Johnny Cash. My mother-in-law, uh, their second eldest daughter, Kathy, over the years, shared some stories with me about um, her upbringing in Memphis, in LA, in Casita Springs. And, you know, I didn't really grow up with country music. And I think like most people, what backstory I think I, I knew about Johnny Cash came from the 2005 film Walk the Line. And so, as, as you might imagine, when she's telling me these stories, I'm just thinking, well, where, where the hell was this in that movie? I was, I was in between projects, considering what to do next, and really toying seriously with a documentary, and a friend suggested I do this. And so Dustin and I chatted about it um, pretty heavily for a couple weeks, and um, decided that the only way to move forward would be if we had his mom's blessing and his aunt's blessing, and their involvement. And to our surprise, you know, within like 24 hours, we had all of them. Then uh, the two and a half year journey started. In terms of putting the film together, uh, there's a lot of footage, archival footage, and then there's all the sit downs with the, uh, the four sisters. Um, where did you start? Where did you feel like you wanted to dive in? And let me name them, Roseanne, uh, Kathy, Cindy, and Tara. The first, I think, six months were just this really intense discovery process. Vivian had written a memoir that came out two years after she passed in 2007 called I Walk the Line. So I revisited that and took notes from that. At that point, I started making regular trips to my in-law's house and started, you know, digging through photos and um, boxes that hadn't been gone through in years. And um, Tara, who's in Portland, um, started mailing large boxes of, of photos and um, old home movies on uh, various mediums. For several months, I was scanning photos and transferring footage. 
just just collecting puzzle pieces, you know? Yeah. And so I had a good number of these puzzle pieces. This, this probably started like September. And so by that spring, felt comfortable sitting down with Roseanne and Kathy, and they were our first two interviews. And then I think that June, sat down with Cindy and Tara, and then continued to collect materials all throughout this process because after interviewing them, you know, certain things came to light that weren't in Vivian's manuscript or her book, um, nor had I heard in conversations with Kathy. I, I just kept collecting materials as much as I could, you know, reaching out to Roseanne, are, are you sure there's nothing else? Reaching out to Cindy, oh, you, you spoke of this letter or that letter, do you, do you happen to know where that is? So yeah, I mean, the, the whole process was wonderful. Um, it felt like a bit of, uh, I don't know, investigative journalism and um, just uh, kept finding these, these, um, these uh, wonderful pieces of, of hidden history throughout the process. Right. And oftentimes when I watch a documentary like My, My Darling Vivian, it has that, that vibe of the, uh, the story of Citizen Kane's looking for Rosebud, right? Looking sure. And to your credit, I think we found a number of rosebuds in the telling of her story and, and to give it back. Sort of, but I'm amazed given that I knew nothing about her. I knew nothing of her existence through the uh, largesse of the children. You, you have a lot of information, a lot of material here. There's a lot of issues covered in the course of not only their relationship, but also Johnny's career, but also her we and it rightfully focuses on on Vivian in the story and there's a lot of things that happen in the course of her lifetime that are just fascinating and take us down these very different roads sure yeah did, did that surprise you as much as I'm I sort of I feel like it did me yes going into it you know I had heard certain certain things that obviously when first hearing are very surprising. So I didn't really get it all uh, all together like you do in the 90 minutes of, of the movie. But, you know, I remember one of the first things I heard was dad was gone for, for months at a time. We didn't know where he was and strangers would show up at the door, you know, in the middle of the night. And just thinking about how terrifying that must have been for Vivian. And then you know, finding out about the threats from the KKK and her her being alone and, and frightened during that period too. And, you know, there were just so many different pieces of the story that came to light at, at different times that were as surprising as they were like a gut punch. And, but also other things like the fact that he wrote Walk the Line for her. And when you hear how they met and that whirlwind romance and, and the, the exchanging of thousands of, of these um, wonderful love letters and the marriage as soon as he got back, it, it all just makes sense and falls into place. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. That was where I was gonna go with our conversation and that is, they met, as I alluded to in our introduction, uh, in a skating rink, and there are variations of that particular story we hear in the, in the film of, as to how he approached her or whatever, but it's still, it, the, the, the upshot of it is he took her home, they began this relationship, and he was soon after shipped off overseas uh, because of his enrollment in the army, but it was, uh, but those letters, those are the things that jump out at me, and a thousand, over a thousand letters, and she responded. I mean, the back and forth, the correspondence, and the intensity of their feelings for one another. 
uh, which gives, it really gives the film and their relationship this context to understand how brightly that, that fire burned for the period of time that it did. And we will find out, and I don't want to give too much away, even at the end of her life, how, how she felt. And, um, and I'm sure he did as well. So there's a lot there, but th those, those letters uh, were, that's a remarkable part of the story. And that kind of gives you some idea of how, in, how involved and how caught up in each other's lives they were and how quickly they had kids, right? Talk, yeah. talk a little bit about sort of this family that went from zero to 60 in a matter of just a couple of years. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, so he gets back in um, into the summer, 1954. They marry. You know, he gets back in July. They marry in August. By the following May, they have Roseanne, and ten months later, they have Kathy. At right at the same time, his career is taking off, and then shortly thereafter, have Cindy and move from Memphis to Los Angeles. And you know, and then of course the addition of a, a, a monkey and a parrot and a dog um, and a swimming pool and, you know, just so much in such a short period of time. Right. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and, let's not forget the snakes. <laughs> oh, yes. And then, yeah, moving to casitas and then it's like, oh, now we have, now we have snakes and bobcats that show up. Colorful ride. Yeah. You know, Matt, I will say about the film that Johnny Cash does not come off as, uh, as a hero in the film. But sure. I, th I felt that the way that you presented it, you softened a lot of the of his story in a way. In a way and I, I don't mean that as a disservice to the story oh, of wow. Vivian. He, he, he is as screwed up as he was as many times as he had brushes with the law and with drug addiction. He seemed to care about his daughters, although that sort of I mean, that's the, maybe even that's debatable. But. It's a story that if it wasn't Johnny Cash and Vivian, it people's relationships play out in these ways, not in yeah. exactly the same way. I, is am I being fair and accurate about Johnny and 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 Vivian? Oh, absolutely. You know, the thing is, it was really just important to just tell the truth and tell it like it is, and and to say, look, these are two people. He was a person. Um, he was a father, he was a husband, at one time very devoted, and then uh, got very busy and overwhelmed and slipped. And, and Vivian was just really out of her element, you know? She was um, a Catholic schoolgirl from a strict um, sheltered upbringing in San Antonio, Texas, and, and had no desire for this type of lifestyle, never dreamed of it, was totally unprepared for it, and, and didn't know really what to do with it. And so, and that's to say, I think everyone's seeing a very different side of him here because um, so much of what's been passed down in these other narrative and documentary films um, and books and TV shows and specials, I think is largely in part myth. And, and this, um, I think, shows you a closer glimpse of who, who the man was. Most of the, the things that happened to him and Vivian were in this part of his career where he, he was just starting out, he was trying to find his way. And then yeah. along come the demons that he's probably been dealing with for a good part of his life. They, they become a bigger part of his life. And now he's suddenly somehow he's, he's got these remarkable opportunities that are in front of him. He's hanging out with Bob Dylan. And not to excuse, I'm not in any way trying to excuse his, his, his behavior or what he did, but uh, there's, there, in addition to being a story that a lot of people would recognize as their own family's uh, story, Absolutely. you have this extraordinary level of attention, which, which is 
how I want to pivot back to Vivian. And that is, as you described her, she came from a very strict Catholic background. Her father was abusive in many ways. Uh, so she was under a lot of pressure to stay married also. And let's, that's another part of this. But, it, but she managed to soldier on. That's the thing that comes through in the film is how as beaten down as she was at times, as vulnerable as, as she was at times, her children are the most important thing, and she managed to regroup and do whatever she had to do to move forward. Absolutely, yeah. Which, which is really, I mean, that's what gives this film, there's this emotional pull. I, by the time, you know, you watch this film, and at the end of the film, you can't help but feel like she was a remarkable woman. I guess that's what okay. I'm trying to get to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Like I said, she was unprepared for a lot of things, but at the same time, I think some things that uh, or a great deal of what happened in her childhood perhaps prepared her to be such a fiercely protective mother and a loyal wife. And I think Roseanne um, intimates a few times she was concerned with appearances. So she she did what she had to do to maintain that appearance and in, in a strange way that that is what summoned her strength i think and mm-hmm. helped her just finally draw a line when enough was enough yeah she's a beautiful woman she uh she was uh, italian my heritage yeah and i and i i don't want to i've been don't want to give any more away about the film and than i than i think is absolutely necessary to, to have our conversation but Sure. The, one, the one incident that kind of jumps out at me is that in, uh, during a court appearance with Johnny Cash, she comes out and when she's photographed, she comes out in the photograph looking, quote unquote, darker than she really was. Right. And I, I think this is, there's a, there's a degree of relevant to today. Oh, because, because, because of that photograph, this one, apparently one single incident of uh, this photo. Right. Talk, yeah. talk a little bit about that, because I thought that was just a remarkable story I'd never heard before. So, Yeah, and I think that's telling too, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that you'd, you'd never heard that, and I think at every turn, things like that have um, been buried. The reason I mentioned that is because it's the, it gives this film a, a punch of, of being relevant to today. Oh yeah, that, that it, and, it, and it's something that we think, we've, we thought for a long time that we were past. Oh yeah, you and know. So therefore, <laughs> yeah, no. And I'll say this: racism is its own own virus, right? I just think we may we may think it's been stomped out, but you know, it's it's still there under the surface, and it has has been for a long time. And you you'd think in in twenty twenty we we pass this stuff, but um, I, I think we've got a little little more work to do. Yeah. Well, the film, again, is My Darling Vivian, and the website is called MyDarlingVivian.com. You can find out more about the film, and you can also find out how you can watch the film. And it's opening today, Friday, June 19th, so you'll be able to, you know, there are a number of ways to watch the film, uh, and I urge you to check this out. It's, uh, it is a story about someone you think you know a fair amount about you think you've heard if you've seen walk the line you think you know almost everything there is to know about johnny cash and that isn't even close to true uh, because my darling vivian is another whole narrative film in and on to, to itself but 
in this documentary. It's just a, it's full of information and insights and a look at a woman who is, uh, as I said, she's a remarkable woman who, who pretty much lived in the shadow um, of Johnny Cash. And uh, very curious, uh, before I leave you, uh, Matt, um, by the way, we're speaking with Matt Rayla Hoover, and he's the director of My Darling Vivian. Um, what is, what's Dustin's reaction? Obviously, he was part of the, uh, as a producer of the film, what was Dustin Tittle's reaction to um, making of the film, or just the reaction, the reaction that's been, that it's getting, it's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Sort of, how, how do you and he feel about it? Like, um, would you like to ask him? He's right here. All right. Let's ask Dustin Tittle, the producer of My Darling Vivian. Dustin, what, 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 as you come through this whole process of putting all this together and it's now out in the world and the reaction has been really wonderful, and as I said, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, what are your feelings? Hi, Mike. Um, it, is, it is great to unexpectedly be here with you today. <laughs> um, you know, the, the thing that's really fascinating is, and I'll just preface this by saying that when my grandma Vivian died, I was, I was 21 years old or almost 21 years old. So I had uh, a relationship with her and, and knew her fairly well. But it's kind of astounding when someone like my husband comes in and looks at this woman from a completely third party perspective with absolutely no um, preconceived notions of who she was, and then asks your mother and her sisters, you know, some, some sort of family history and some em really emotional the root of a whole bunch of emotional baggage and development and all of that stuff. And, and I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines watching this entire thing happen. And it was, it was amazing in, in that he allowed me to perceive and to know my grandmother in a way that was never really possible uh, before and uh, really filled in a lot of blanks for who she was. Because one thing that's really interesting is that you think that your mom and your dad and you think that your grandparents like before you were born it doesn't occur to you that they existed and had a life you think that they were always who you knew them to be um or at least i do and it's really fascinating to sort of watch this young woman turn into woman and everything that she dealt with and how she dealt with it and how she was both prepared and unprepared um, for the life that she ended up getting. And, and then decades after that, she becomes my grandmother, right? And so I'm left with um, the result of this life that has, has, has been lived completely outside of my experience with her. I don't know, it's truly a gift to be able to see someone that I knew as a complete person, which I had not been given the opportunity to, to, to do before. Um, a completely long answer, but but it was really emotionally overwhelming for me to 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 redevelop and rekindle a relationship with my grandmother 15 years after her death. And the fact that you know people seem to 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 be responding well to it, it is just icing on the cake. It's it's remarkable. Yeah, I think that's a, a gift uh, that that not everyone has uh, has gotten, and that is. If you were to meet your parents or your grandparents on the street and you were just to start talking to them and and what would your reaction be to them? How would you take them in as a person? And that I think is one of those things that in varying stages of your life, those are the things that mark your development as a person is seeing your parents as your parents and the people who provided a life for you and then seeing them as someone as, with a whole nother persona or life how 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 do you how do you you know how do you feel about them how is that and i think 
this is a is quite a gift to be able to see Vivian as as that. And uh, it, and you, the two of you, did a wonderful job with this film. I, I I really think that if you didn't, if you were dropped in from Mars, didn't know anything about Johnny Cash, it, it wouldn't matter. You would just you. This film is it stands stands on its own. And um, I want to thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. You're welcome. The film, again, is My Darling Vivian, and we've been talking with the director, Matt Riddle Hoover, as well as the producer, Dustin Tittle. To both of you, thank you so much for being here on Film School. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.